Hey, Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action, whether it's in business, the nonprofit world, education, or another field. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. Steve's a good guy. And in his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. I am Steve Dunn. Today, I'm joined by Manoj Kesavan, the founder and executive director of the company that puts on Boom, an arts festival that occurs in Charlotte. Welcome, Manoj. Thank you. Good to see you, Steve. How did Boom get started? Hmm, long story. I'll try to condense it. So what you see as Boom kind of came from what we means our, well, we started start as an artist collective. Informally, we used to meet for conversations. And I always use the plural we because it's always a group effort. So I'm fortunate to be the orchestrator of that for many years. So, you know, we've been doing a lot of different collaborations. And in 2012, I and my then creative partner, Farron Franks, we got a artist residency at the McCall Center in 2012, which was also the year when the DNC was in town, Obama's re-election. Well, the uh, DNC comes to town in 2012. And 2012, yep. the whole media attention of the entire, not just the United States, world. but of the world is right. focused on Charlotte, North Carolina, right? right? And so you and your creative collaborators decided to contribute to that in a way. Yeah, you know, so we already had a very diverse group of artists. We meet all the time. And strangely enough, there was no plans to showcase Charlotte Arts, even though there are so many other things going on. But the host committee or nobody else had any plans to showcase our local or regional arts. So we kind of became it. So we ended up doing some 80-plus performances of spoken word, theater, music, everything, uh, literally on the streets, which got, as you said, international attention. Like a month later, I was randomly looking at an Indian magazine and there was a photo of one of our performances on there because AP and Getty Images, they took photos and went global. So that also really expanded our collective, which was, which used to be a little bit more architecture, design, visual art focused, but that brought on board people like, uh, well, Quentin Talley was part of it even before, but people like blues and you know some of the amazing spoken word people dancers like Cameron Watson, Martha Connett, and Audrey Bear and Caroline Kalush, like a lot of the best dancers in town, pretty much most independent companies. We all thought it was an amazing experience, and we wanted to see if we can keep that kind of spirit going, even without a huge media circus like the DNC. So you put on a series of kind of grassroots level performances in connection with the DNC. Right. Performance as well as some large-scale art installations. And then after the DNC leaves town, you're all still there. You're still energized with this. Right. You're, you're still motivated to keep 
bringing performances like this or through these people to to the Charlotte community. Right. And then, so how does that then turn into what we now all know as Boo? We were, first of all, energized and exhausted. So, you know, we, we launched the organization officially, like it became formalized into an organization in 2012. So to start with such a huge thing was a little bit crazy looking back. It took us a few years to try to figure out what we want to do. So I know you are very familiar with, but I'm sure most listeners are familiar with the idea of fringe festivals, the big one, or the let's say the original one started in Edinburgh to showcase what was too fringy, too edgy for the main Edinburgh Arts Festival. And then it, I think it was started in the 50s or 60s. It grew into maybe the largest art festival in the world. It's such a huge thing, and you know, especially in the UK. The idea is that they actually are on the fringes of the city in bars and coffee shops and so places like that and showcasing that what is at the fringes where that were the kind of the experimentation, the pushing of the envelope happens. So a lot of our artists have been going to fringe festivals in other parts of the country and sometimes the world, like Quentin Onque has been to Edinburgh twice. So it was strange for us that we didn't have our own fringe festival. Like Asheville has had one for many years. Greensboro has had one for like 15 years. Atlanta, everyone else. So we thought that, you know, we had, we had zero dollars, but we had a lot of, you know, I think some of the best artists in town in our team. So we thought, let's let's try this. Let's make a fringe festival. And yeah. the idea there is you're, you're creating performances that are both off the beaten path in the sense of right. where they're physically performed, right? So maybe right. non-traditional spaces, exactly. you know. Not in the, the glittering and gleaming venues uptown, right. but out in the community, out in the suburbs, and, and pos- in bars and restaurants, and out on the street, exactly. as opposed to, to traditional theater spaces. Right. And then also that push boundaries creatively, and perhaps are showing folks things that they haven't seen before. or that Right. And, you know, if you're a small, especially kind of an experimental theater or dance company, or any kind of performance group, it's very hard to like create a show and put it on by yourself. I mean, say renting the booth theater for a weekend, it's so beyond the capacity of most groups there. So Boom became kind of the space for that. Even now, like when you come to Boom, you'll see these really amazing shows. And that's the only place where, you know, where they get to show that. Also, so, you know, we do the selection very early on because to give them time to develop these shows, because if they do not get selected for Boom, the, that show just won't happen. So we kind of became, and you know, we, we ourselves were so so pleasantly surprised by the response we got. As you know well, you know, even the very first year, we thought we'll have around thirty programs. That ballooned to fifty, and by twenty nineteen, it it was over a hundred. So in four years, it more than doubled in size. And at this time, boom is. Usually in the spring, right? Around it's, the April time frame. It's, it's and always in a weekend in April. Always on a weekend in April. And in at, at that time, you're doing it in the Plaza Midwood neighborhood. Right. Yeah. And 2019, well, so we did four, 2016 to 2019. And 2020 was supposed to be our big fifth year. And then, of course, we had to pull the plug. Something three, three happened. Weeks before. And, yeah, yes. 2020. <laughs> yeah, you had a decision to make, right? So it was around March, I guess, that everything started shutting down. In yeah. 2020. So the festival was well underway at that point. Yeah. You, were, you were in the plan. The planning was done, and you were getting ready to put it on. We have an eight-month timeline. So we were like 90% into the planning and decided to pull the plug like last week of March, like less than three weeks before, which is, however, you know, I think it comes to us being still, you know, so we are still 
primarily an artist collective, even though we have the infrastructure of a nonprofit right now. We were able to quickly go online and do a small, like, we call it boom in the living room that weekend. That was before everyone went online. This was in the very early stages of the pandemic. And then, you know, we, that summer when the nationwide protest started, we asked artists to respond and we got this amazing, overwhelming response, mostly from black artists, of course, which ended up being a three-part online showcase called Act Now, which again, I think we were the first and maybe the only like major entity that asked artists to respond to, you know, largest protests in nation's history. So, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests, all the aftermath of George Floyd killing. And, you know, we feel like, so we were planning like a small one online showcase. It became a three-part showcase hosted by Blues. Uh, we did that in partnership with Charlotte's Creative and Black Market and Roll Up Charlotte. Really. So you find a way to continue yeah. being creative and sharing the creativity of Charlotte artists through the pandemic. Right. And as time goes on, as we come out of the pandemic, Boom takes on a new life at Camp North End. Right. So, yeah, this spring we were, after two years, we were able to bring Boom back. It was it was slightly smaller than before. It was only two days. Even then we had 60 plus programs over, you know, Friday and Saturday. So, yeah, we brought it back this April. And now, you know, we hope to go back to the pre-pandemic scale or maybe bigger uh, in the coming April. What's it like at Camp North End as opposed to Plaza Midwood in terms of putting on a festival like that? We have a lot more space. So, you know, the, the interesting thing Boom has become and how it's different from most other fringe festivals is that I feel like we have really expanded the definition of fringe. So if I might go a little geeky, the fringe space. So if you go to Atlanta Fringe or Asheville Fringe, it's still a very uh, kind of a wide space because what's considered edgy in theater, in dance, but it also mostly comes from more of that, you know, most of them have, say, MFAs in theater or dance. So they come from that very conventional academic definition of the center as well as the fringe. However, you know, maybe, I mean, partly because our collective itself is very, you know, very diverse, racially, age-wise and everything. We were very intentional in, you know, like examining, like, what does fringe mean in today's society. So, I mean, to quote an anthropologist, David Graeber, who's kind of the philosopher of the Occupy movement, he says, culture is creative refusal. So culture as that happens when, when like a kind of an underclass or somebody pushes against the mainstream. Culture happens at that friction point. So if you look at American music, blues and rock and roll and like, you know, I mean, pretty much all of that comes from the black community. I mean, American culture, the fringe has been in the black community. And I feel like, and so Boom is now a majority black festival. And I think any major event in the US, especially in the South, would be majority black if it was purely based on talent. And if you're really trying to capture that, that point of cultural creation where new culture is actually being invented. So we feel like our success, or you know, at least in creating something that is truly representative of the diversity of the city, which, as you know very well, you know, Charlotte is still a very segregated city. So if you go to any of the uptown institutions, you see that segregation, not just racially, age-wise, and like econ economy-wise. I mean, uptown is very elite in the sense that there's certain parts of the city you would not see there. 
So we've been able to transcend all that because I feel like we've been very constantly questioning what is the fringe, what what is what is happening there. So yeah, as you describe Boom's mission and its nature in reference to diversity and the tension that creates culture and art, what is the experience of someone who attends the festival? What what do you see when you go there, and what, what do you have the opportunity? to discover. Yeah, so the most visible part. So there are two major parts to Boom. One is what we call Boom Fringe, which is, you know, which are the ticketed shows in indoor venues to put it broadly. So this might be like a play yeah. or a dance performance. Right. Um, something that's traditional in the sense that there's a time and a place and right. you buy a ticket and there's a person at the door and you go in and you take right. your seat and there's a there's a little bit of the experience of attending the show that is reminiscent of what you might do in any kind of a show. True. But right. the subject matter that's on stage may may be a little bit off the beaten path, as we've been right, discussing. Right. Uh, and another important component of Boom, again, I think that comes from the nature of the art scene in Charlotte. We have a very strong uh, spoken word component. So we have had like people like Blues or Morris Rogers, who's kind of the godfather of the spoken word scene here. Hey, more Carlos Robson, Jay Ward, who kind of had a kind of a big creative leap in Boom 2018. He later on went on to become the first ever poet laureate of Charlotte. We are very proud of that. You know, uh, I mean, not to take any credit. Well, but, and Charlotte know, but, is yeah. the yeah truly an epicenter of spoken word art. Exactly. In, you know, worldwide, which a uh, lot of people here don't know. I mean, a lot of the media here doesn't know. Right. So what Boom allows is that, I mean, people do that. It's, it's like a for a comedian to go to a little evening, like little 10-minute segment at a club to do a, like a HBO special or Netflix special, take their act to the next level, create an hour-long, one-person storytelling experience. So again, Boom is the only place that you see that in Charlotte. And we feel like because of that, you know, a lot of artists like Jay Ward has been able to take the art to the next level. So, yeah, spoken word is a big part. So there's all that back to your question about what you see at Boom. So there's this really amazing kind of really, you know, performance of dance, theater, spoken word. A lot of stuff don't really, I mean, as you know, we had a rock opera. <laughs> yeah, there's music. There's I quite memorably for a few years ago recall a performance that was, it was a bass clarinet player and a drum machine or something it was right. very much off the beaten path but or true lobster did a little they had a tiny tent where only four people can attend, attend at a time yeah it's challenging and interesting stuff you had a you had a guy set up a tent in a parking lot that had kind of a light show displayed oh, yes. on the inside of Inflatable a, igloo. a giant igloo right <laughs> i mean it, so it's a little so there's there's wonder there's surprise right. certainly with respect to the ticketed performances right. and then there's this other side of the festival that you refer to as the intersection right which is again you know it's kind of came from what we felt was the need in the city so that's the most visible side. So when most people talk about boom, they're basically talking about the intersection, which is in Plaza Medud, it used to happen in the little gravel lot across from Common Market. Right now, or right now, or this year, it was at the boiler yard, the big big main space at Camp North End. Although Camp North End, we have, we have also took over that whole raceway. This is that big passageway leading up to it. Well, and these are performances that are just kind of just one after another going on all the time. Yeah, like we a, have... Several bands, you know, again, like some of the best bands in town perform. We have like aerial dance. We'll have chalk artists 
doing their you know work on the asphalt. So yeah, it's pretty much and you know like some bigger entities like the symphony brought some of the music musicians to Charlotte. So like I think 2019 we had the opera bring a little piece of opera to there. So that's where the whole kind of creative ecosystem converges. So from the very established organizations to like chalk artists and muralists and as you're walking around, you you never know what you might stumble upon. Right. And the next, you may, you may be watching a band play, and then the next performance up on the same stage is a really interesting dance performance. Right. Or, and so it's it's there's sort of something for everyone, and for everyone, and it's yeah. a it's a place where you can go and just take it as it comes. And right. Be spontaneous. Yeah, and you know, often I would say, you know, be surprised by. We didn't know this was all, you know, this was there in Charlotte. All this crazy stuff was happening here. You've referred to the organization behind Boom as a collective. And you've referenced its diversity, which you describe as being somewhat unique in Charlotte. It's a, a collective comprising largely a group of artists, people who are creators themselves. And I wonder what it means to you and what it means to boom, to be an artist-driven organization in that way. This is funny. So very early on, Tom Gabbard, I'm sure everyone knows the head of Blumenthal, who's been a wonderful advisor. And while we were talking about something, he said something like, you know, your strength and weakness seems to be your artist-run organization or something like that. So the, the good side is, like I said, during the pandemic, when everything just froze, we were able to quickly pivot and go online and also, you know, respond to the crisis instead of being completely frozen by it. We, another thing we did during the pandemic is we partnered with Charlotte Journalism Collaborative, which is you know, a collective of some of the larger entities like The Observer, WCNC, La Noticia, Q Notes, Queen City Metro. So we partnered local, mostly artists of color, with journalists and did a series of graphic stories about the pandemic, which was later collected into a book, which is like a fascinating snapshot of this you know, this unique time in history. So it sounds like being an artist-led organization enables you in a way to act quickly and to respond artistically to the news of the day in right. a way. But at the same time, and in and, and reference to you know, Gab- what Gabbard said, <laughs> like there's a challenging aspect to that too. Right. So, you know, artists don't get up to do the same thing over and over again. So we are great in responding to crisis, to challenges, However, it's still herding cats. <laughs> right. And, uh, and somebody's got to, you know, order the Porta Johns and you right. know, get, get the insurance. And, right. and, but, but, w- which, thank you. You helped that, with that a lot <laughs> well, several times. <laughs> well, you're calling me out as, as a former board member of Boom. Board chair. I, 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 yes, I, I was involved in a volunteer capacity. <laughs> well, hope, even before joining the board, you were helping with those things. <laughs> well, the, yes, this is true. I, I do my part, but, but it's a, it seems to me that having creative people be at the heart of the company and playing such integral roles in its organization gives Boom a certain spirit, a yeah. certain way that you reflect upon Charlotte and the world. Yeah, no, definitely. And again, we feel like we've been able to transcend a lot of the challenges. I mean, when it comes to diversity and inclusion and all that, which you know, a lot of people talk about, but that's not often reflected in the not only their programming. So as you know, our organization, the core group is very diverse. Board is now majority black. So the, that diversity is reflected at every level. 
So it's not just the programming, it's not just the window dressing, which, you know, which is not true for most other groups. But as we you know, grow as an organization, we also, as you said, need some of those structures. There are so much of running an organization which is not creative, which is not very exciting, it's very repetitive. So it's, there's always kind of that friction between kind of balancing those things. Yeah, it's a tough challenge. I think a lot of organizations have that challenge. And I think one of the things that any organization has to decide is the sometimes there's a tension between growing and getting bigger and doing more versus just repeating the same thing over and over again and doing right. what we do well. And there's there's really, honestly, there's a lot to be said for both. <laughs> right. right, right. So it's a balancing act, right? Right. Well, Speaking of Charlotte, you know, we're we're here speaking on the Charlotte Ledger podcast, and we both live in Charlotte. I can't help but notice in speaking with you, Manoj, that you're not originally from Charlotte. And I don't know how you could tell. Well, but you've, you've been here for a while. I mean, you've, you've seen a bit of Charlotte's past, and I, I hope that you'll years. see quite a bit of Charlotte's future. What are your observations about this town, and where do you see us heading into the future? Well, so... You know, I've been in here for 20 years, which is hard to believe. It's the longest I've lived in any place. It feels a little bit strange when I talk about it. Although, I mean, like I said, it's only in 2012 that I, before that, I used to be a full-time architect. So only half the time here, that's when I plunged into starting a nonprofit with no idea what I was getting into because I had absolutely no, I'd never written a grant application or, you know, had to deal with any of that. So I think also it gives me an interesting perspective, even though coming from a very creative field, but at the same time, not being in that, the whole kind of nonprofit arts sector. Well, you know, I think it's not news to say that funding is a huge problem. I mean, funding is a huge problem for arts everywhere in the U.S. at least. However, particularly in Charlotte, I don't know if you, well, I'm sure you know about the Art and Science Council did a big equity audit back in 2020. And it showed that only like 3.5% or less of their funding historically has gone to artists and organizations of color combined. And that if, if you remove the GAN center from that, it drops like 1%. So in a city which is 55% people of color. So there's all those very structural problems. And also, you know, I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways, we are still kind of stuck in that McCall era when it comes to what is considered art and what needs to be supported. So, I mean, again, this is my personal perspective. And people like the leadership of McCall when they were trying to build a new city when Charlotte was really growing. So they had a checklist of things. We need a performing arts center. We need a proper museum. We need a, you know, symphony, opera, things like that. The Art and Science Council was kind of created to support that. And that's what they were primarily doing. They support these few entities who also have city-owned buildings. So they, you know, they rent-free. And the whole arts infrastructure was set up to support those. And we haven't been able to evolve out of that, which makes it very hard for grassroots groups, artist-led organizations, and class and race are very intertwined in the U.S. So, you know, artists, organizations of color, especially. Just in the last six years, I think you saw on Q Productions, cast, recently Actors Theater, they all go under. So, it's as if unless you are born in the right part of town, unless you are created or within that, almost like that uptown bubble, it's just hard to survive in the city, which makes it, you know, such a, such a hard grind for a lot of grassroots groups. 
So you're all constantly stuck in that cycle of poverty. Uh, so how's it going to change? What, what, what is the future then, right? Yeah. Well, you know, maybe, maybe it needs to be a generational change. So. Well, that's actually a great segue into the next thing <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, which is the fact that you are known for being over 40. You are a winner of the <laughs> prestigious Charlotte Ledger 40 Over 40 Award. And as time keeps passing and right. as we all keep getting older, I wonder how you reflect on the lessons that you've learned throughout life, not with respect to your work or boom, or, but as a person, as you look back over the years and whether you respond with words of wisdom or advice for a younger person, I'm, I'm curious to hear what things are you currently on your mind as the most important lessons learned through life? I'm not a very introspective person, strangely. Really? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, well, as you know, I have a background in history and theory in art and architecture. So I am constantly kind of trying to analyze globally. And my background is also in actually, in, I mean, or my focus has been in movement, art movements. So the major movements like what changed the course of cultural history and all that. So I feel like a lot of the work we do is informed by that. And a lot of my thinking is informed by the work we do. So I'm constantly kind of like the whole idea of that artist, that culture is creative refusal. That's a thing I came across a couple of months ago. So I'm constantly kind of updating my theoretical framework as we try new things. At the same time, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it's as from a personal kind of reflection, maybe it's my escapism. I try not to think about it. Partly also maybe because of all the challenges, maybe it's better not to think about it because it's something that we, the unfortunate thing, again, is like I said, all these wonderful organizations which come and go, there's a way this kind of work grinds you down. So maybe it's maybe a kind of an unconscious thing about, yeah, let's not think about it. I'm going to have you back. Yeah. When, when <laughs> you win the Charlotte Ledger 70 over 70 award. I'm right. gonna, we'll come back and we'll talk about reflections <laughs> on the last 20 years or so. Uh, right. And I look forward to that day. Manoj, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Where can our listeners find out more information about you and your organization and the Boom Festival? Well, about me, I don't know if, why anybody would want to, but maybe they should just Google my name. But Boom has boomcharlotte.org is our website. And we are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We are not on TikTok yet. It's only a matter of time. It's only yeah. a matter of time. You know, we are, I think, still mostly millennial dominated as a group. A lot of the people I mentioned, like Blues and Q and Cameron, they're all that millennial group. But we have new people coming in, Gen Z people. So hopefully we'll be on Twitter soon. And No, sorry. Well, you have to come soon. up with some of those 30 under 30s. And I don't know. If are there 20 under 20s? Maybe we need to get, get a hold of some of those and, and bring yeah. about some of that generational change right. that you referenced that always is and always will be the key to progress and advance. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that, that's the thing. Like I said, I think we are still stuck in that kind of a value system of a previous generation. And I think that is slowly changing. Well, Manoj, thanks so much for being with me today. Check out boomcharlotte.org for more information about the Boom Festival. And we'll see you there in April at Camp North End. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Always so great to talk with you. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. 
And you can find out more about our 40 Over 40 awards at ledger40over40.com.